Thank you, everyone. If you turn in your Bible with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, the very last chapter being chapter 13. I was, uh, I, I was blessed to be in with uh, the worship team during uh, prayer time, and I found one of the old Bibles from uh, the sanctuary that we, re we replaced many, many years ago. <laughs> this Bible is so beat up. It's got black tape on the spine. The interior is de-glued. De and I was looking at it, and it was, uh, it was actually published in, in Great Britain. And uh, I think it may have come over on the Mayflower. But <laughs> little picture of a guy with a three-cornered hat. No, I'm just joking. But anyway, I was reading this passage again in that old Bible, and guess what? It says the same thing that it says in your Bible. So uh, we're going to look at this today, uh, this Communion Sunday. And uh, the first thing I want to say about this before we read is just a point of order. You notice at the beginning of the 13th chapter, it says, this is now the third time that I'm coming to you. Uh, most biblical scholars believe that there were actually three epistles that Paul wrote specifically to the Corinthians, and somehow this, the second one was in some ways lost. So 2 Corinthians should actually most likely be 3 Corinthians, but that's just a point of order. And um, you, you notice a difference between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in that 1 Corinthians, Paul was really laying out a lot of wonderful things like, you know, he's talking about the, the love chapter and he's talking about so many other things that are more foundational. He speaks about the gifts of the Spirit. He speaks about um, how the, the, the things should happen in the church and the moving of the Spirit. And it really was a foundational thing. You come to this book and Paul is just letting them have it. You know, he's, he's talking about how they've corrupted themselves how that they've corrupted the word. I think that's very interesting. He's talking about the God of this world who's blinded minds and, and so that people couldn't see the glorious gospel. He talks about, uh, he, Paul takes the unprecedented step to re remind them of the things that he suffered for them, uh, for the cause. And he talks about how that he went into the heavens and saw things because there were other teachers that were coming in trying to really denigrate Paul and trying to tear these Corinthians away from what they should be. And, you know, I see this, and I read this. Uh, you know, and even Paul's writing about the messenger of Satan that came and was, uh, was a thorn in the flesh, and how Paul said to the Lord three times, remove this from me, and is that famous in chapter 12, my grace is sufficient. Um, Paul's really talking about the battle that is going on concerning the things that God wanted to do in the Corinthians and the way the enemy tried to infiltrate and the way the enemy tried to twist things. And um, so Paul, this, this second Corinthians, and, and I only imagine what must have been said in the true second Corinthians, because by the time we get to this, Paul's just 
Paul's just kind of beside himself. And, you know, I see a pattern of the way the enemy tried to move in the, in the early church where things were begun in really pure state and then you see a combination of the people kind of drifting away from first things and the enemy trying to come in. And um, you see that pattern over and over again. Even with the Ephesians, who were, who were first converted through the ministry of John the Baptist, and there were a lot of zealots there, and then Paul went in and in Acts 19, and the Spirit of the Lord came, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you see the, the writing to the Ephesians, which is tremendous, the things that he speaks about the heavenly places, the things that he speaks about the whole armor, the things that he speaks about, you know, you guys are going into the depths of the things of God and you need to represent him. And then you see in Revelation, the book of Revelation, Jesus rebuking them because they left their first love. It's interesting. It, it's really interesting. And um, I, I'm thankful that God's spirit is moving in mighty ways uh, this this saint's message and representation that we've been given. I think Monica's prophetic word about the scales needing to come off the eyes of people and that there would be a freshening, uh, that is so true because God is just beginning to do what he promised he would do. You know, we're seeing not only continents but new dimensions, new new. Uh, new frameworks of his spirit in our continent. Um, I, I, you know, this year of grace is interesting. You know, you know that Brazil is opening, and so many of the nations of South America are opening. This is glorious to see. But God is also opening up new parts of, of our country here in America. Um, I testified on this past Wednesday night about uh, basically a miracle corridor that has been, that has manifested itself in a number of ways over the past couple of hundred years in our country's history. Now it's somewhat, in some ways, been a bit forgotten, but God is opening up the work of the saints in, in that, in the region of Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, leading up into that, the very top point of this corridor, which is in, in Ontario, and we're, we're going to see things in this next year. There's a great hunger among people there, and there's a great stirring that God has put in their hearts for diversities of tongues and proscuneo and, and welcoming the saints' message and welcoming the, the cross as the, the true measure of tapping into the esteme of the spirit that's there. I'm, I'm just really blessed by that. But we need, to, we need to recognize that the timeless and eternal God has given us something that is precious in his heart, something that is the stirring point for the armies of the Lord in this end time. And we must cherish it, and we must hold on to it, and we must not become weary in well-doing because God has only begun to pour out his Spirit uh, upon the, the people, and they're hungry for what God has given to us. So I read this passage, and we're going to get to it in a minute here, uh, and I see a pattern of the enemy. This Corinthian church that was so on fire, and undoubtedly many of them still are, um, but Paul is just telling them, 
What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm coming with you to you in sharpness. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you to awaken. Um, to remember, the God of this world will try to blind the eyes. Remember that there are thorns of the, of the flesh that Satan is bringing, trying to destroy. And, and Paul just says it, but he doesn't just say it here. He says it over and over again. You know, to the Romans and the Galatians, both of those were written uh, at, a, at, a, at the very same time frame, probably in some ways from the very same cell and, uh, that Paul was in. And, you know, Paul begins to the Galatians saying, who has bewitched you that you would believe a lie? This was written to people that began in the fervency and the fire of the Spirit. So we have to be aware of the fact that the enemy's strategies are still the same. But it is up to us as the sons of the Most High God to hold fast to the fire that he has given us and that, that we continue to remain faithful and to be strong in the things of the Spirit um, lest, we, uh, lest we lose our opportunity to participate with the Father in this great end-time move of His Spirit. Yes, there's darkness and gross darkness. But yes, in that same passage, His light shines. You know, I was speaking just in a, in a very um, conversational state in a, in a church in Ohio last week. And the Spirit began to speak to me about how that, yes, darkness and gross darkness is around but my light will shine on you and the spirit just came and started to talk and and the the, the pastor and the staff you know God's spirit began to move and there was tears in their eyes and and after it was all over I, I looked behind and up on the wall was that verse about my light will shine on you and I thought Lord you you you're saying this and you're you really, you've meant this as a rhema for them. So this is where we are. God's doing great things. And, and it's, it's a tremendous thing to be able to, as partners with the Most High, go before the Lord and um, uh, believe for those riches of Christ Jesus in glory. So here we are, 2 Corinthians 13. I'm not sure if I remember what verse I said we'd start at. I guess that's a good one. <laughs> verse 7. Let's uh, read it. Now I pray to God that you do no evil, that we should appear approved, and that you should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. Now honest there means that you are fulfilling what it is that God has called you to do. And uh, it's funny that Paul keeps saying that we be as as, as reprobates. Now, let's, let's just look at that. Just leave that verse up there. Thank you. I'm glad it's on a grace background. Over and over again, when Paul would minister, when he would write to these churches, you'd see him say things like, you know, you are thriving. You're moving in the, in the, in the ministry. God's blessing you. And there are those among you that say that somehow we are reprobate because we are continually in weakness reaching out to you. And, you know, there's a principle in the Spirit, and the enemy then tries to come and, and pervert it. 
that whenever you are a sower of seed, that seed is, has to die first before life comes. And it would seem that the sower has to live that kind of, of mentality in order to, to be able to minister that. And so Paul would say, I rejoice in the areas that look like I'm not functioning because through that the power of God comes. And he said that over and over again, but to many churches he would say, you know, you're blessed because of the sacrifice that we and other saints made so that you might know this. And the problem is that success corrupts. When people begin to see God begin to move, then somehow the enemy might, might try to say, oh, look at us. We've got the message. Those people that sowed into us, look how they're corrupt. They weren't necessarily saying that when they came in as a representation of God bringing you to the fountain that so many paid a sacrifice to have open. So Paul says this. He says, you're functioning as honest, but we're being considered as reprobates. That's just a continuing theme that Paul uses. And so being a reprobate, you have to, you have to keep the mindset. See, the enemy will attack those kinds too, that stance. And, and he'll say, you know, how long do you want to be considered that? You know, how long do you want people to look at you and say, what's wrong with them? You know, how long do you want people in the natural to judge you as having failed, even though that stance of being as, as asthenia, uh, the power of God visits that, and you know that's the way God moves. You know that's the way every movement of God moves. But the world would consider that being a failure. And so you, 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 from the one end, both ends of that, the enemy recognizes that principle and he tries to play it. To those that are blessed as a result of that, there could be haughtiness or they, well, we know more than them. Look how successful we are. But then for those who are sacrificing in obedience to God, you can get weary with that. You can get aggravated, which Paul obviously is, you can read it in between the anointed words. But it, it's that principle. There's always going to have to be sacrifice. There's always going to have to be a dying to self. There's always going to have to be being made low so that you can serve all. The greater is the, is the servant among you. And, and so you've got to be able, willing to embrace that. And uh, for those that are blessed by it, they have to keep perspective. And for those that are sowing, they have to also keep perspective. So you see Paul say this, but this isn't, this isn't an anomaly. Paul says this over and over again. Now what's he say in verse 8? We can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when you are weak, when we are weak, and you are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness <clears throat> according to the power which the Lord has given me to edification and not to destruction. To edification is oikodome, and that is that you would be continuing with the plan of God and not to tearing things apart. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, and there's another dimension of being honest, that you're functioning. Be of good comfort, parakaleo. Everybody keep encouraging one another to doing what you're supposed to do in the plan of God. Be of one mind, which is what uh, 
Zebulun had to demonstrate. They were not of double mind. They were of one heart. They were marching together in unity. Live in peace, and that is that you are continuing to function on behalf of the goal, and the God of agape and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with a saintly kiss. All the saints salute you. Let's stop right there. The saints saluting, that's interesting. That doesn't mean that you assume the stance and, you know, there's a saint salute. What would that be? Now, salute there is interesting because it means to want to embrace, to envelop an embrace, but somehow you're not able to do that. That's really interesting. So you got the holy kiss, which is a saintly kiss. I think that's more Mediterranean. It still goes on there. In fact, when you go and visit in Europe, you have to ask wherever you are, you know, how many kisses on the cheek they have. Some of them do two, some of them do three, some of them do four, and some of the more passionate ones, they just don't stop. But, you know, that just keeps going on and on, and I think that's a flow from the godly thing. But I think all the saints salute you. That's just a cool thing. You know, we, we want to embrace you, but right now it's, it's not something that we can do in the natural. I just think that's a real cool thing. So let's keep reading. I think there's more. Yes. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So you've got the Lord who's moving in grace. Our Lord is walking with us. He never, he never leaves or forsakes us. He stands with us in our terio. He is going forward in grace. He is the Prince of Peace, so he is always moving toward the intended victory of the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God. This is the agape of God, and uh, this comes from the Father. This is such a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, the communion of the Holy Ghost. This is one of those threefold um, proclamations that is so important. It's not just an ending. People look at the, the beginnings and the endings of these epistles as if they're just greetings. Hello, how are you? When You know, often people ask, hey, how are you doing? You know, most of the time they don't really care. It's just something you say. Now, you may, every time you say, how are you, you may want to have a discussion to find out how they usually are. But it's more of just something that people say. And uh, sometimes we, we think when the Bible begins a, a book by saying grace, mercy, and peace, that it's just something that they say. But it's, it's really what God wants. He wants us always moving in grace. He wants us always receiving words of from direction, which is mercy. And he wants us moving toward an, extent, uh, an, an, an end. Here at the end of this book, Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the last verse in the Bible as well. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And how are you going to accomplish this? Stay before the Father. Keep pumping into that heartbeat of his passion. That's what agape is, to accomplish the will of God. We're standing, doing the work of grace with Jesus the seal of that is his wonderful, wonderful agape. And 
the communion, the koinonia of the Holy Ghost be with you all. I want to touch on this, this last phrase, the communion of the Holy Ghost. This is the main thing that I felt God wanted us to share today. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of discussion, and the Spirit's been leading us a lot about the Spirit within. We've talked a lot about that recently, <clears throat> and I know that it's a theme that the Spirit is really trying to mine. This is not necessarily the Spirit within, even though it's all God's Spirit. This is the communion of the Holy Ghost, which came upon the ecclesia at Pentecost, which is that saintly wind that wants God's people to keep moving in, uh, in, as intercessors and as those who delve into the depths of his mysteries and who really pattern themselves as obedient sons that are, that are accepting the commissioning of the Father. Um, you know, it's funny because I, I was talking about the, uh, on Wednesday night, I was talking about the, the adorning of the bride and what that garnishing means. And um, we were talking about how that in heaven, the foundations of the walls of the city, there are 12 of those foundations that are garnished with these stones. And we were talking about the colors, and I was, I was talking about that Chalcedony, Katie was, I got home and Katie was there and she, uh, she had listened to the message and she pronounced the word the way it's supposed to be and she has had, she had earrings made of that stone and they're, guess what, they're light blue, which is just what God said they would be in that thing. But I was noticing how that, that work of the saints is so important. It's the embracing in the seven spirits of God. It's the embracing of the mission and, and moving forth to accomplish it. It's just such a wonderful thing. That's what God wants his church to be, a church that's embraced the mission as saints and who are fulfilling that work of the Father. What is the communion of the Holy Ghost? Well, the koinonia, remember we studied about this in the past, is people exchanging the things that God is giving making a synergy of things. Uh, that, that sharing, having all things common, is not necessarily a communistic system. It's, it's just that we provide spiritually. When, when one in, over here in prayer gets something, uh, somehow the Spirit releases things, and, and there's another that shares, and God brings those things together for a common good of what the aim of the Holy Ghost is. You know, I, I was looking at this, and I, I was studying about the Spirit over this past couple days. And particularly, one of the things that I was studying about was something that the modernists have tried to pervert. And there's a, there's a large contingent of people in the modernists' movement that say that the Holy Ghost that the Spirit of God is feminine and that um, they, they extrapolate from that to say that any kind of a behavior, perhaps in the LGBTQ community or, or any other type of alternative lifestyle is, is okay with God because His Spirit is feminine. And that's a very... That's a very common thing that's being said right now. 
And so I was studying to try to determine the roots of what people were saying. And I think we, I think we need to understand this for a couple of reasons, because we understand more about the Spirit of God, and we also know how to answer those who stand and say these things and kind of ridicule you because you don't know what they're talking about. And sometimes ignorance isn't always bliss. You know, for me, you know, when I was in high school, I was on the debate team, and I was really girding myself to be an attorney. And it was really important for me to know the topic and to also know the strategies that the, the other the other debater was going to be bringing because one thing you don't want to do is ask a question that you don't know the answer to and another thing you want to try to anticipate the strategy that somebody is going to be bringing to you so that you can give an answer if you just stand there slack-jawed they've won the point you know what slack-jawed is <laughs> I won't demonstrate <laughs> I think it kind of pictures for itself Sometimes you're slack job because the person has talked so much you've fallen asleep and your mouth just drops open. But in a debate, that's not what you really want. Now, here's the, here's the deal. You know, in, in the Latin, the, the spirit is, is masculine. In, um, in the Hebrew, there are a couple of instances where the spirit is used feminine, but the majority of the times, it's, it's masculine. In the Greek, it's either masculine or neuter. And in the Aramaic, it's masculine, but there are some occasions where God is communicated as feminine. Now, this isn't saying that God kind of walks funny or, you know, has this side to him. Um, the whole idea of masculine and feminine is is not what we're being forced upon today. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was hearing about uh, how in, in Berkeley, California, they've gone through and established political correctness where, you, you know, you can't call a manhole a manhole now. It's a maintenance cover. And any kind of word that would speak about either man or woman has tried to be eradicated from there. They tried this in the EU. And they're going to have a whole lot of trouble over in Europe because everything is either masculine and feminine. And I don't know. We'd have to sit down with Rachel and just try to figure out, you know, what can we actually say? If a ship is feminine, well, we can't call that that anymore. And, you know, here's the deal about masculine and feminine. When God created people, and if you didn't hear anything else, you need to hear this because this really gives the answer. When God created man and woman, male and female, when he, when he took the rib out of Adam and, and uh, created woman, um, it, we were created in God's image. You know, even today, like if you have a water hose and you have the male end and the feminine end, and, you, you know, we talk about the male as being that which, that which pursues and the, f the female as being that which connects and brings provision and supply. That's kind of what it is with God. The, the, the male is going to be that which is, uh, uh, and I'm not trying to be uh, chauvinistic, I'm just trying to explain this. The concept of it is that the feminine is going to be more 
the more of the dimension of God that speaks about uh, almost like the Elohim kind of a, of, a, of a flow, where there's commune and where there's supply and where there's a, a measure of, of partnering and covenant. The, the Yahweh dimension is going to be according to the word, according to the, the plan, according to the pattern. And they are one, and, and they, but they have to come together. It's kind of like lover and warrior. That's the male and the female. And, and I think we all have that dimension within us. And, and usually one part of it is more dominant than the other. And those that are the warriors and the doers, you have to, you have to slow yourself down and awaken that commune. Or those that are more, you know, I want to feel warm and cozy and I want to feel this. You have to, you have to also encourage that one that there's something that God is going to require out of that. And you have to take a stand and you have to move forward. But it's when those two come together that there's supply. It's interesting that when you look at the power words in the New Testament, did you recognize that dunamis is feminine? How is that? Because dunamis is function. Dunamis is the culmination of the plan. Dunamis, dunamis is when everything comes together and, and uh, there then is supply, there's agreement, there's commune, and that's why dunamis is feminine. And, and it's, it's very interesting to see this, and it makes perfect sense. You know, in, in the old, you know, when, when you, if you've been moving at all in the things of the Spirit for, you know, for decades, you know, there was a teaching that came out about the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God which is an Aramaic word, which is why it's not in the Bible. There are some Aramaic words, and there's some Aramaic uh, roots that found their way into the Greek and the Hebrew and into some of the Aramaic words. But, you know, you'd hear these people, and they always say it with such an awe, the Shekinah. Well, really, all the Shekinah glory was, it, was, it is feminine, and it's from the Aramaic. And what it was used for was to say that when God was present in a place and people were actually communing with him and people were actually coming into agreement and people were gaining a measure of supply from him, it wasn't about the cloud. It wasn't about some hair standing on edge electric. It was focused on that commune. Some of the, some of the early writings would talk about if you had... Ten scholars in a room, and they were, they were, they were come to a point of an agreement, and the Shekinah came. It was all about people being in agreement, and and really tapping into the divinely ordered supply, and it was feminine. But the feminine and masculine are not in disharmony with one another. This is why God came to Adam, and He wanted that kind of agreement but that that God would come in the ruach of the day and that God would speak and suddenly it's, it's like a revelation comes but it's really not that because God knew all things from the beginning God wanted to demonstrate that with Adam and then he said okay for you to really know how to do this it is not good for you to be alone so I'm going to create a helpmate. 
I'm going to create one from you that you can then commune with. And there are some chauvinistic knuckleheads over the years that says that the woman is some secondary creature because of that, and that's not the case. In God's economy at that point, he wanted to demonstrate not only that connection of male-female with Adam, but he wanted mankind to demonstrate that agreement on earth so that there is that idea of what is what has God said, how are we going to come into an agreement with that, how are we going to unite the, the, the calling and the drive to do it with the supply and the vitality of it. That brings a chord, and when a chord comes, then there is power, which is feminine. How are we going to do that? God wanted us to know that on earth because that's the way he functions. But see, we take that, and there's always a, there's always a challenge when, you know, you take divine truths, eternal truths, and try to take some anomaly that's happening right now and make some kind, take those divine purposes, twist them, and make them fit into whatever point you have or whatever iniquitous pursuit you have. And so this beautiful thing that we're talking about, and this beautiful thing about the way God moves and the way he is, in our society today, there are those who would take that and say, well, this justifies an aberrant behavior, whether you call it alternative or whatever. Well, that's not what God was saying at all. It's not that God created some as feminine and some as human. The point is, is that uh, as, as, as um, not human, male, it's that we need to know that God functions in a point of commune, in a point of agreement, in a point of, of uh, objective and supply and fulfillment. That's the way God moves. And that's the whole issue. But to take that and to justify some modern movement and then to quote some guys from the second century, I want to tell you, if you took some of the things you're trying to prove today by the writers of the second century, those things you're trying to prove today, those would have been stoned in the second century. So it's kind of ridiculous to try to make modern anomalies, um, to take the, the eternal principles of God and twist them. Boy, that, how does that happen? Does the enemy ever twist things? Uh, and twist them to make them say something that they're not saying today. That's what's going on in a modernism. And, and so you see people who'll say that, you know, the fe- there's the feminine side of God, and because of that, that it justifies all these other things. And that's not what God said. That's not what he meant, and that's certainly not what he did in the Scripture. You know, it's interesting. Like, for instance, there are a lot of examples of this. And as I said, in, in Hebrew, there, was, there were dimensions of the, of the ruach that were feminine, and, and, and then there were those that were, that were masculine. But when Jesus spoke about the Spirit, it was neutral. When Jesus spoke about the Spirit in the New Testament, the tense in the Greek was, was either neutral or aligned with the, the masculine. So God's not confused. But there's a passage that speaks about when Noah's, when the ark landed and Noah comes out and all the animals go scampering out of the ark and they're running to and fro. And God's about to give the covenant for the earth 
which is the seven colors, not the six colors, but the seven colors. And um, Noah offers a, a burnt offering. And it says that the savor of that, and that is the feminine of ruach, the savor was that. And it rose before the Lord, before Yahweh. And God found that pleasing. What's that say? Well, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Noah did all this work in partnership with God. Noah built that ark over many years. Noah was on that ship with those animals that probably didn't have the greatest fragrance. And, and then it lands on Ararat. They all get out of the boat. There, there was a lot of work there. And the plan of God was being fulfilled. And, and at the beginning of this, God said, my spirit is not going to strive with man. My spirit is not pleased with what I'm seeing man do. What was man doing? What were they doing in the days of Noah? My spirit's not striving with that anymore. Well, there was partnership with the demonic. There was all kinds of sexual perversion. There was, there was wickedness abounding. And God said very plainly, my spirit is not going to strive with this. It's not, oh, yeah, my spirit is that, so I'm, you know, I'm just welcoming it. No, he says very clearly, I'm not dealing with that. But after the ark lands and the sacrifice is offered to the plan of God, God's nostrils, God's spirit receives that point of obedience and commune. God finds it good and says, I'm going to give you this covenant for the earth. And he pronounces the five-fold blessing, and the bow is in the sky, the Arc de Seal is there, and, and it's wonderful. So where does this come then for what we're doing with the commune of the Holy Ghost? Well, we as saints, as we are preparing to come before this table, are moving forward in grace with our Lord Jesus. We're moving into new territories. We're new, moving into new places of commune and agreement with him. And it is, it is still the remnant and the few that is doing this. And if the enemy's trying to convince you that, okay, you know, this, this theme that is necessary to go into a new place is not for you, I, I pray that I would say sharp things, as Paul said, but I pray that God will cause you to see things clearly again, which was prophesied earlier. But we're moving forward with our Lord, joint heirs with Christ in grace. I pray that we'll remember what it is to move in the agape of our Father, and stay close to Him, and press into Him. And I pray that the koinonia of this dimension of God's Spirit, this saintly wind, would bring that dimension of supply, agreement, fulfillment, and, and absolute accord, which is what God's Spirit does. It's, it's interesting because you see that's necessary before the Spirit falls on someone, before the Spirit comes on someone. You look at 
You look at Saul when he first receives the anointing from Samuel, and he goes out and he's prophesying, and the Spirit is upon him and the prophets, and they're prophesying all day long. There had to be a point of acceptance and agreement for the Spirit to come. The Spirit comes when there is that measure of the agreement according to what God wants to do and willingness to do it. Then that supply, that agreement, that, that measure of accord comes. And then that releases the supply. I, I, I think that's, that's a terrific thing. It just, it just is. And, um, you know, this morning very early I got up and went out and tried to water my lawn. Now, yesterday morning early I watered the backyard. And uh, so this morning I was going to water the front. Something weird's happening with my sprinkler system. So no water came out. First time in 30 years, I don't know what's going on. I've got to figure it out. So I thought I'm going to have to drag that long hose that I've got in the garage out, and I'm going to have to take that. I'm going to have to go to the the masculine fitting on the on the faucet, and I'm going to have to take that feminine fitting and twist that on there. And when I do those two things, supply is going to come. We understand that in the way we put things together. We understand the masculine, feminine. We understand that that point of agreement joins things and supply comes from it. And it's not just there. It's in, in, many, in many other things, in computer fittings. You buy cords. You're going to have to know the masculine and the feminine connection to connect your computers unless you just have a thunderbolt, which is kind of a generic unisex kind of a thing. But, you know, for the most part, if you buy masculine and it's requiring a feminine, you're, you're going to have to go back to you're going to have to go back to Radio Shack at North Park. And, you know, you're just going to have to do what you've got to do. We understand that in the natural. But when it comes to the things of the spirit or it comes to the things in, in modern society, we get things all messed up. And then we say God's saying one thing when the truth is really clear, and it's another thing. For us today, we're coming before this table on this Peretz Sunday, and we're submitting ourselves to God's plan. We are embodying, to the best of our abilities, God's plan. And we're, we're willing to go where he says go and do what he says do, and we're sensitive to hear his direction. We need to come into contact with the Holy Ghost in the, it, 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 because of the fact that we've agreed with the Father's plan, we've submitted ourselves according to His eternal calling, and those two things need to come together with His supply. So the Holy Ghost and that communion where it then transmits to everyone, one and all, it's equally shared, but it's, it's divided severally according to whatever God's will is. We need to believe for that. That's been a theme for the day, and that's what we're going to believe for tonight. There is supply that is coming. There is supply that is right here. And there's the riches of Christ in glory. And it's, those, those treasure places are, are going to be open. See? You can hear it. It's already coming through the walls. And <laughs> it's spraying out. 
Get your finger in the dike. Uh, anyway, but we're, we're believing for that. And, um, and I believe that there are things that God wants to provide for you. Things in conjunction with your submission to his plan. And miraculously, God's spirit, you're going to come into a harmony with God's spirit. And the calling of the Holy Ghost is going to provide a koinonia kind of a thing, a communion. And that supply is, is going to be with us. Even this table itself, you've got the plan of God, which is that bread. You've got the blood, which is that embracing and the willingness to die and to share in, in our, our willingness to give all that we are to God. And the commune of the Holy Ghost, the communion is those two things together and God releasing the supply. You see that? You've got the male and the feminine here in communion. And it's just God's way. But it does not, it does not indicate an aberration of other things that he wrote. It does not, no matter how emotive you are with it. And, and to say, to bring up this feminine masculine thing and to try to slap uh, fundamentalists upside the head with it as if they're ignorant of it is just a fool's argument. God's not confused. It's here. And the point is that we accept him, we welcome him, we commune with him, and supply and victory comes as a result of it. Amen? So what is it that God is going to supply you with today? What is it that God's going to unlock and open for all of us today? I don't know. That's the beauty of it. There are some things that God's going to identify, and we're going to call them forth in prosuke. There are some things that God is going to call forth, and the Spirit and the Bride are going to say to it, come. But there are other things that we have no idea, neither is entered into our heart or our mind, and God's reserved them, and he's going to release them. I pronounce all of that over you. And I pronounce that over this network of saints, this mission that he's given us across the world. You're living the miracle of God. You're seeing around you and across this network of people who are eating the same pneumatikos meat and drinking the same pneumatikos drink. You're seeing God's way. He always takes the handful. And he provides. He always takes the little bit in, in the cruise and, and he provides. He takes, what is that in thine hand? He takes that rod and he provides. He takes that, those few loaves and fishes of the little boy and feeds the thousands. God always does it that way. You don't find anything in Scripture where God bank, backs up a brink truck and says, okay, here it is. Now that may come, but... He always looks for those that are willing to say, I believe. And no matter what it looks, I'm going to call those things that be not as though they are. And that's what God does. Amen? Oh, Father, I pray, obviously, your theme of commune and supply is upon us today. I thank you for that. And I speak forth blessing over all the dear ones that are in this place and those many, the churches from around the world and pockets of saints 
uh, I pray blessing over them as well. And I ask that throughout this day and for the days to come, you will unlock a measure of commune with you that is rich and rare, one that we've not really known yet. We look forward to that and we anticipate it because it's you. We love you. And the supply that is going to be generated and released through that, we welcome that. Guide us in the appropriation of it, in the distribution of it. Guide us in the declaration of it. Teach us, school us, train us. But it's a wonderful thing, Father, to be in this place with you. And I ask that as we come before this table of communion, that your, your mind, your will, your, the investment of ourselves would, would meet that supply and the richness of your presence and that we would be complete in you today. Meet the needs of your people. Uh, open up the treasures of your heart. We thank you for that invitation. And we come now willingly, obediently, and with great anticipation. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to come down and take the lids off. And I invite all of you who are here to come and receive and spend as much time with the Lord as you desire. And for anyone who's watching this at any time, whether archive or live, you find a time today to partake of this because this is a rhema for us as saints. And we speak blessing over it now in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in and let's come and receive. Amen.